This is Why Wasn't It Better. I am your host, Patrick Darms. And I'm your co-host, Anton Paras. And we are joined today by our friend, Travis Hastings. Travis, Woo! welcome. Hey, welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's our pleasure. Uh, Travis, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, I could tell you a, a brief a brief summary of everything. Uh, uh, I met Patrick in college uh, in an intro to film class, and uh, I've always had a passion for movies. I mean, uh, I currently work in TV. I'm a camera operator and director of photography for uh, reality TV, sadly. It's not the, uh, the exact format that I want to be working on, but it, you know, it pays the bills. I do uh, you know, a lot of the Housewives of, uh, of New Jersey, of New York, of Potomac, but most recently I'm working on Summer House, uh, which is all Bravo stuff. Um, but I've always had a passion for um, making movies, making TV, making anything that kind of expresses that creative aspect of uh, storytelling. And, you know, got the cliche story, got a camera for Christmas when I was like 10, and then I've just been hooked on it ever since. And uh, yeah, I'm big James Bond guy too. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. A real expert if there ever is one. It's very <laughs> well, excited. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a uh, you know a total expert, but I can film people gossiping about shit for a while. More of an expert than Anton and I. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> well, we, are, we are, but we are but amateurs. <laughs> I'll take I'll take that compliment. Well, so Travis, you wanted to talk about a, a Bond movie. What is your relationship with Bond like? Are you a big Bond fan? I am a big Bond fan. Um, I remember again for I think it was probably that same exact Christmas I got. They had a box set of Sean Connery Bond movies on VHS, and I got hooked on Bond very early on. But um, the reason why I wanted to talk about Spectre is I'm a big Daniel Craig Bond fan. And uh, the reason being is because my father took me to see Casino Royale after he already saw it. That's how impassioned he was about it. The only other movie he ever did that with was Batman Begins, uh, the Christopher Nolan movie. But uh, he was like, you know, Chris Casino Royale is a new reimagining of James Bond. We got to go see it. And then I saw that with him. And then I took one of my buddies to see it. And then I saw it again. So I saw Casino Royale three times in theaters. That's how in love I was with that movie. Really? And uh, yeah. And then I've been a, a really a Daniel Craig fan ever since then with uh, his iteration of Bond. But I've just always loved, uh, you know, Goldfinger, Thunderball, uh, even the, uh, the 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 Roger Moore times where it got really kind of hokey and weird but i mean it, it had its own charm to it too so i've just loved every every character or iteration of james bond since sean connery oh Fantastic. we love roger moore here we, we're we're more fans oh you're big roger moore guys. oh yeah, more, <laughs> yeah. the more the better as they say yeah. oh, Ooh, that's a good one that, i'll say oh, this about for roger moore nobody had more fun playing bond and being bond than roger moore Oh yeah, a hundred percent agree. The Moonraker, yeah, <laughs> it's I, like Moonraker is like so strangely, strangely watchable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he, he had all the he had all the good ones. Octopussy, Moonraker, uh, Diamonds Are Forever. He had a bunch of great ones. Connery was that, in Diamonds Are Forever. Or uh, not Diamonds Are Forever. Um, spy who loved me. The, the spy who loved me. Live and let you know, die. Live and let die. That's one. Yeah, but, man with uh, the golden gun. For your eyes only. A view to a kill. Oh my God! Yeah, he had a, he had a lot of a lot of hokey ones, but they're all some like, hokey ones. I, I will give you that. <laughs> they are, they are good though. They are really they are, they are really they're good. all fun in their own way. 
Yeah, exactly. Whatever of course, new gadget you know, I'm a little bit of. older than you. I grew up with the Brosnan ones, and I still hold Brosnan in, in very high esteem. I, I love me some Pierce Brosnan. Oh, yeah. how could you not? How could you not? Some people don't. Yeah, well, we don't talk about those people, do we? <laughs> no. <laughs> and then key question, I love a good deconstruction of uh, archetypes and James Bond so many different ways that he's already been that that he's been portrayed the movie that we're about to talk about definitely went in a few different directions what's your favorite Austin Powers film oh god um you know the most quotable one for me is Goldmember because it was just so mm-hmm. <laughs> so crazy but it's so similar to this damn movie uh, <laughs> it's so similar to Spectre. It's ridiculous. Oh, uh, in um, all the wrong ways. But you know what? It's like it's some in some moments, Spectre was funnier than Goldmember with how ridiculous it was being, and uh, it's uh, with the with the um, the step or the half brother storyline and all that stuff. It looks like they just were cherry picking some key points from Goldmember. So I'd say Goldmember. That if, yeah, if that's no, the that's, best answer. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great segue, um, and to introduce us into the film. So, uh, Patrick, do you do you want to to walk through the film, or do we want to do a little bit more admin admin first? Uh, we can do a little bit of admin just real quick um, before we get into this. Is just a reminder to uh, give a follow or a subscription, I should say, to our YouTube channel. Why wasn't it better? It'll be in the show notes. We're really trying to grow our YouTube channel, and we've had a lot of support so far, so we really appreciate that. Make sure to give a listen, comment, engage with us. We love all of it. At the end of the day, we just want to make sure that you're enjoying, because we're having a great time talking about these movies. We are. We will okay, never let's know. talk about Spectre. A cryptic message from the past leads James Bond on a rogue mission to Mexico City and Rome, where he meets a, the beautiful widow of an infamous criminal. After infiltrating a secret meeting, 007 uncovers the existence of a sinister organization known as Spectre. Needing the help of the daughter of an old nemesis, he embarks on a mission to find her. As Bond ventures towards the heart of Spectre, he discovers a chilling connection between himself and the enemy he seeks. Spectre was released on November 6, 2015 by Eon Productions, MGM, and Columbia Pictures. Directed by Sam Mendes. Screenplay by John Logan, Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Jez Butterworth. Starring Daniel Craig, Leah Seydoux, Christoph Waltz, Ben Wishall, Naomi Harris, Ray Fiennes, Dave Bautista, and Monica Bellucci. Budget three hundred million dollars. Box office eight hundred and eighty million dollars. Travis, you already told us how much you like Daniel Craig as James Bond, but yes, we ask every guest this. So, of all the list of movies that I sent you that you could have chosen to appear on, why did you choose Spectre? I mean, it's kind of like what we brushed over briefly in the uh, the the pre taping of the podcast is that it just looked so damn promising in the trailer the trailer could have set up so many different avenues uh the blofeld uh uh introduction specter introduction uh i'm the author of your pain mr bond kind of stuff and you just see all that it it just looked sick and you see dave batista you see daniel craig in the snow wearing these crazy ass sunglasses you see all this awesome action that you just thought it was going to be so much more and then it wasn't. It really boiled down to storytelling, pacing, and just, in some cases, bad acting. And uh, I think that that's really why I wanted to talk about this one in particular, 
is because I think it just Quantum of Solace had a had an excuse because the writer strike. This had no excuse to be as poorly written, and it could have been a great comeback from that poor sequel, and it just didn't hit the mark. So that's why really I wanted to just talk about it. Well, it's an inspired choice. I mean, everything you're saying, it's all fair. Yeah, it's all it's all very. very I had fair. forgotten how good the trailer is. Holy crap. Oh, yeah. Patrick, I'm so glad you you uh, reminded me to watch the trailer yeah, beforehand. <laughs> that was very, it, it, it hyped it up. It's and a then, great trailer. Fantastic trailer. Fantastic trailer. Yeah. But if you're and, listening, you know it did not live up to that hype. It didn't. It didn't. <laughs> Spectre it was, of course, the 24th Bond movie. Now, the 23rd, Skyfall, a lot of people like that movie. We like that movie. And it was enormously successful, right? It was the first Bond movie to top a billion dollars unadjusted for inflation. It actually won two Oscars, too. Adele won for her song. And then it also won for, like, sound editing with another movie. It was like a tie, which is pretty rare for the Oscars. But And, you know, some people don't like Skyfall. But it's generally, generally regarded as, like, a high point in the Bond series. So yeah. the expectations for this one were very high. And we said it how good the trailer was you know? I, have a, I have a fun fact uh this was the sixth highest grossing film in 2015 does anyone want to take a guess what was number five what was number five? Oh man I, I... it wasn't avengers age of ultron right no no that was number four very it was close number four paddington two funny but along those same lines of like oh, really was, well, it's along the same lines of i was like oh this is a sad way this is it's sad that this was ahead of bond i, I couldn't i could not even take a, a real it wasn't force awakens guess. right no it wasn't force awakens was number one that made okay a right. ton of money Tell you know, so the the film was minions oh all right all right i mean damn good piece damn good piece <laughs> to be number five there was another mm-hmm. reason to be excited for this movie Bond fans will know this, and we're going to go into the details of this in a future episode when we cover Thunderball. But long story short, the reason that the character Ernst Stavro Blofeld and the organization Spectre stopped appearing in the films after 1971 was due to an ongoing legal battle that lasted until the 2010s. Eon finally regained the rights to use the Spectre name as well as the character of Blofeld. The character is who... Any non-Bond fan will still know what this character is if you see a picture of it because of, or they might confuse it with Dr. Evil, but whatever, right? <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Blofeld has been parodied a lot, right? But he is an, an, an iconic supervillain. And Bond fans like myself, you know, like I was delighted when I heard that they were bringing these back to, to the movies, right? Because it's such a famous villain. And especially when we heard it was going to be Christoph Waltz, it only added to the hype. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like Christoph Waltz could have been a perfect casting if he just took it in a different direction than with the way he chose to uh, to, oh, yeah. to carry this character out. Oh, we have a whole section. Oh, perfect. Okay, to good. talk about Blofeld. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, we oh, do. Yeah. But uh, this was a victim of that Sony hack. I don't know if you, if you guys remember. Oh, I didn't this. know that. Oh, yeah. Yes, this we'll we'll get into this in the production history. But this was oh, one great. of the most infamous victims of that Sony hack that that happened in November 2014. But when I first saw this movie, I actually really liked it. It seemed to check every box. It has a lot of like classic Bond elements in it, not just having Blofeld and Spectre back, but it had a pretty memorable pre-title sequence. It had a classic Bond girl, 
it had the henchman with Batista, right? Clearly a reference to a lot of older classic Bond. And then there was like proper globe trotting. He goes all over the place in this movie. Seemed like classic Bond. Shot very beautifully, but definitely touches into a little campy aesthetic, one could say. I would encourage anyone to watch this back-to-back with Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. It came out the very same year and has a curiously similar plot. But let's get into the production history of this. So with Daniel Craig under contract for two more Bond films after Skyfall, Eon hired John Logan to write this film. Now, Logan had worked on the the Skyfall script. So they originally envisioned this movie being a two-parter, originally with the intention of filming them simultaneously so they could be released in 2014 and 2015. Some of the elements actually from Logan's script would be reused for No Time to Die, specifically the concept of a daughter. Now, the two-part film idea, that quickly fell out of favor, and I, but ideas from Logan's script were, were to be combined into one film, and it was later revealed that Daniel, Daniel Craig was the biggest detractor of the two-part idea. But by July 2013, it was officially announced that Craig and Sam Mendes would be returning. This month was also when Edward Snowden began leaking information about the mass NSA surveillance. This is how the Nine Eyes piece got included into this movie's story. Now, in November 2013, MGM and the McClory estate formally settled the issue with Dan Jack, the parent holding company of Eon Productions, acquiring the full copyright film rights to the concept of Spectre and all of the characters associated with it. And this is where Blofeld begins to be incorporated into the script. Logan submitted at least two drafts, the second of which featured Blofeld as an African warlord living in a Japanese castle with a garden of poison plants. Not making that up. I want that so bad. (laughs) That's sort of from the novel. It's very similar to the You Only Live Twice novel. And Anton, we got a little hint of that in No Time to Die. I don't know if you remember the poison garden thing. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. July 2014, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade, our old friends, were brought in to polish Logan's script, specifically to punch up the script and sprinkle in more gags and provide the banter between Bond, Money Petty, and M. Some reports indicated that the rewrite was more significant than originally planned, and in November, screenwriter Jez Butterworth was hired to do a final polish of the script which reportedly did not affect the filming schedule. I never tire of saying this guy's name, Jez Butterworth. Longtime listeners will recognize Butterworth, a staple of the Craig Bond films. Yes. Yeah, he worked on Skyfall, I think. and I th- He might have worked on No Time to Die, but he worked on the film that we covered previously, Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny. He worked on it with his brother, those Butterworth brothers. Butterworth <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the torture scene in this movie was directly lifted from the first non-Fleming Bond novel, Colonel Sun, written by Kingsley Amos. For this reason, the estate of Kingsley Amos was, is thanked in the end credits. And I wanted to bring this up because it's a little cool historical tidbit. Eon, the company that, of course, makes the Bond movies, right? They only have the film rights to the Fleming novels. That's why you never see any of the newer Bond novels getting adapted because they would have to pay for them piecemeal if they wanted to use anything from that. But for whatever reason, they felt the need to use a torture scene from this one non-Fleming novel and they were willing to pay the estate of Kingsley Amos to use it. thought that was interesting. Very interesting. Gary Oldman was approached for the role for Franz Oberhauser, but he was unwilling to commit to six-month production worldwide. At one point during the writing process, uh, Chiwetel Olojafor and Kevin Spacey were considered before Christoph Waltz was chosen. And we mentioned it earlier, 
this movie was a victim of the Sony hack. And in November 2014, Sony was targeted by hackers calling themselves the Guardians of Peace. So they're huge losers who released details of confidential emails between Sony executives, most notably co-chairman Amy Pascal, regarding several high-profile film projects. So things that were leaked include early version of Logan, the Logan script. Um, Pascal and other executives expressed frustrations with the script. They liked the first hundred pages, but felt the third act was a letdown. It included with these several memos detailing early drafts of the script written by John Logan and expressing Sony's frustration with the project. The memos also revealed how Eon was resisting Sony and MGM's attempts to cut down on stunts and location work to reduce the budget, but managed to secure tax incentives and rebates such as $14 million from Mexico. So memos mention how the film was over budget at well over $300 million. Ridiculous. so Pascal later resigned her position at Sony as a result of this hack. Well, you know, which means she was fired. And some of the emails she sent there were quite damning. She had things to say about Angelina Jolie and some rather politically incorrect statements as well. Production began on December 5th, 2014 at good old Pinewood Studios. Locations for Spectre included Mexico City, Rome, Tangier, Morocco, Soden, Australia, Obertiliac and Lake Altos. Lake Altos. And Altose. filming Altose. <laughs> and and filming filming lasted 128 days. The end result of this film is pretty much three separate scripts cobbled together. Story ideas from John Logan's two-part story, Purvis and Wade's and Butterworth's. Following the success of this movie, Mexico City held its first Day of the Dead parade complete with floats, dancers, and giant marionettes in 2016. And prior to this, no parade had ever been held, despite the movie scenes. So, hey, holidays and, and parades, a fun byproduct of the film. That Pretty blows me stuff. away that, that, that is, there's never been a parade of that caliber before right? that movie. Because when I saw that, I was like, damn, I got to go to Mexico City. That parade looks amazing. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm so invested in that. I'm sure they're celebrating, but maybe just... An official that, parade wasn't a thing. Not that 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 Apparently standard, not. that size. Yeah, that's incredible. I, that. I mean, I've watched Coco, so I pretty much know everything about the exactly. Yeah, gentlemen, let's talk about why Spectre wasn't better. Let's do it. I'd like let's to go. start with the storytelling decisions. This film made some storytelling decisions. I'm not sure how many of them were good storytelling decisions. It's kind of a screenwriting disaster. The decisions they'd made here not only tainted this film but it nearly brought down the entire daniel craig era they kind of wrote themselves into the sharpest corner imaginable they took a two-part film they tried to put it into one daniel craig we mentioned vetoed the idea of a two-part film i think he thought this would be his final appearance travis you mentioned this how quantum of solace at least had the excuse of that writer strike yeah they did not have that excuse here this is just bad decision after bad decision well, this had some of that Butterworth magic and a few others involved. <laughs> that Mr. Butterworth, yeah, that is. Uh, um, it it just it just echoes um, kind of like not to jump genres here, but it, it echoes the Joss Whedon rewrite for the Snyder movies, and it's kind of just like trying to make it extra punchy, extra fun, and it just. It didn't. None of the, none of the things land. Some of the things seemed really out of context, and it, you could just tell that they were reshoots. And yeah, it just had 
some not linear storytelling moments. Now, to be fair, I do think that the studio respected that by naming the film Spectre, by including a lot of elements that longtime Bond fans um, have come to know, there's a there's a bit of expectation that comes with that. So just trying to capture that, it, 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 it can be difficult, right? Very difficult. Yes. They got the rights to Spectre back. They got the rights to Blofeld back. And rather than maybe think about things a little bit and put some foresight into things a little bit and maybe plan out what they wanted to do with Blofeld and Spectre a little bit, they just immediately shoehorned them into the next film. They got the rights back. I don't think they knew what to do with them. They were obviously influenced by the all-connecting story arcs from the MCU because they tried to retcon the previous films. But unlike Marvel, I don't think they put any work into planning anything or trying to make these things fit together logically because these things don't fit together logically. There was no kind of fan demand for this. Like, after both of you saw Skyfall in the theater, right? Right. By that point, Skyfall came out the same year as the first Avengers film, right? So the MCU was still pretty new, but it was established at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Did you come out of Skyfall thinking to yourself, you know what I really need here? A James Bond MCU. I need all these movies to be connected. I need all this whole story to be tied together. No one Not was asking no for one, no, no, no one, one needs that. No. No one did even know that that was an option. And even if it was an option, people wouldn't choose that. Because by that point, Bond had been a success for 50 years doing the same thing over and over with slight variations. They're mostly standalone movies. One of the coolest things about all the old Bond movies, right, is you can just watch any one of them at any time without having to, oh, oh, wait, well, I have to watch Octopussy before A View to a Kill. Otherwise, there was none of that. Right. Very yeah. loose, loose elements of continuity, but otherwise very, yes. you, could, you could watch a film and not have to worry about having watched five films before. Storytelling wise, I think Spectre is where the Craig era really went wrong. Them trying to retcon all the previous movies together, huge mistake. I don't think they ever really recovered from it because it, it affected the next movie, No Time to Die. Yes. That, that was the one thing, too, that I took away from this movie was they already established in um, in Skyfall the, or even in, in Quantum uh, of the organization called Quantum. And it was obviously that studio's attempt it felt like to me it felt like that that was that studio's attempt to have a similar crime organization and they couldn't get the rights to just call it specter so they're like oh we're gonna call this thing uh this thing quantum exactly and then it just kind of felt like oh sh- oh we got all this we got the rights back so now we're just gonna make it all make sense now and it 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 didn't lead into that it just felt like like you just said they retconned all the story building that they've already done about quantum and just brought in a bunch of other of the villains of the previous Craig films to be like, oh no, they were working with us the entire time. You guys are just too stupid to realize. And it made the audience feel stupid too. And it just didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I'm glad you brought up Quantum, Travis, because I watched, I let me just say this. I need little excuse to watch rewatch any Bond movie at any time. So the fact that we were covering one for this podcast, I was like, well, I guess I'll just rewatch all the Craig ones. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> So going back and rewatching it, you're right. None of it even makes sense. I would argue that Lashif, the villain from Casino Royale, he was never a member of Quantum. If you remember from that movie, it's kind of established in the film. He's kind of a third party banker that Quantum like refers its clients to. That's right. That's right. right. Yeah. That's true. If you remember Mr. White's interaction 
with Lashif. Obviously, he ends up killing Lashif, but all mm-hmm. of his interactions before that, it's very much they're not part of the same organization. He's like a Lashif was like a contractor. He was not part of Quantum or Spectre or whatever. So that story that doesn't make sense. And to your point, they already established this organization called Quantum, right? Yeah. But all of a sudden in this movie, they're like, it, it's really called Spectre, but there's no explanation as to why it was previously called Quantum. And then you get you, you get to Silva in Skyfall. He was definitely not part of Spectre in, in Skyfall. You remember that great scene where we're introduced to Silva? Javier Bardem gives this awesome monologue to Bond. He tells him, if you wanted, you can pick your own secret missions as I do. Name it, name it. But according to this movie, he didn't pick his own secret missions. He was working for Blofeld the whole time. So we can completely disregard Silva's quest for revenge on M. Doesn't make sense. Skyfall is very much a standalone movie. It has nothing to do with this film's plot. To be fair, there's could have been ways to write in maybe a bit more of an organic reveal. But just the way that the film paced, it would just kind of it was more like, eh, just believe us. Right. Yeah. It, it it truly felt like, no, guys, we've we've got this going. This is this was the plan the whole time. And you're like, uh, it, it just doesn't seem that way. It just seems like lazy storytelling. What did you guys think of the pre-title sequence? In general, I thought it was a really cool shot. The the, the you're you're speaking of the tracking shot, right? Yeah, I liked it too. Yeah. Beautiful, oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, I mean, like it it that to me felt like the audience was meant to see how Bond operates. That super super long take starting in the streets with him wearing that got to be honest dope fucking skeleton costume oh yeah uh, mm-hmm. and and with the, of course the hot girl on his side walking all the way up through the uh, into the lobby into the elevator into the room and then having it land on the girl on the bed as she's like you know getting ready for what bond does and then out of the blue just going like what are you doing and he's just jump cuts to a perfect suit and he goes oh, i'll be right back that was so Bond, him nonchalantly walking across buildings with a gun, pretending like it's nothing that he's, you know, 10 stories up from the street. It just felt very Bond-like. Can I can I just say, though, I was a little confused with just the random quote in the beginning that the they just put alive. on the screen. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 yeah. that it, it didn't weird. even make it didn't make any sense. <laughs> no, that was Sam Mendez's decision. Oh, uh, really? I think it's pretty pretentious, not needed. Yeah, like just. It, trying to sound very cryptic and cool, but... I mean, uh, Pat, in all your research, did, are there any other Bond films that have a pre-quote in that, uh, like in the title sequence? Okay, technically no, but A View to a Kill begins with a legal disclaimer saying that the name Zorin is not associated with any real person. Zorin is the villain in the movie played by Christopher Walken. But to answer your question, technically, no. This is the only time that that's occurred in a Bond film. Yeah, because it was just so out of character. Yeah. It's interesting because this is the first Craig film where we finally got the gun barrel at the very beginning. If you remember, it was previously at the end for whatever stupid reason. (laughs) Yeah. But finally, it's in the beginning. It's the frustrating thing about these Craig films. Uh, It's like, other than Casino Royale, it's like they're really struggling to give us a traditional Bond movie, and I don't know why. Just give, just open a movie with the gun barrel logo. Is that too much to ask for? And then, to be fair, they really did dip their like they if they were dipping their toes in the past few films, this film, they're really embracing more of that fun, campy Bond traditional aesthetic. Yes. Yeah, and I think I think honestly. 
the reason why I liked uh, uh, Casino Royale so much is because it made it feel so real, like like half of the events that he was doing actually could have happened. Yes. Um, you know, with some some obviously Hollywood effects added to it. But um, like you were just saying, Anton, that it's it's slowly developed into the campier things like the the car with the machine guns, the exploding watch, all, all those other th- elements started happening more and more. But in that very beginning of Casino Royale, it just felt like it was um, he, he felt visceral. He felt brutal. He felt completely different than any other Bond. It was so and grounded. That, yeah. And then that character slowly just changed into uh, a classic Bond. A classic. Oh uh, yeah, I, I make uh, I make witty remarks and I have gadgets and it's just like yeah, it's it was good. It, it, it's good. See that that's why the Roger Moore films for me are more consistent because Roger Moore established early on like no like this is a campy Bond and we're embracing it and they never let go of it. So the tone is very consistent through all his films. Yeah, and I think uh, um, the Daniel Craig movies are begging to be taken as reality where they're begging to be like, no, all, all of these events could happen. But I think that that was one of the notes I had um, for this movie is that introductory uh, uh, sequence where he's fighting, a, fighting uh, what, what was the guy's name? Uh, Marco Sicari or Scaria? Schiara. Sicari? Schiara. Yeah. Um, he was fighting him in a helicopter and this helicopter is just flailing about doing barrel rolls, doing all these things. And and never once, you know, crashing, never once doing anything. It just it just felt so outlandish. And I feel like that was one of the first times where I was like, okay, this is going to be like a classic James Bond movie, not like a, a Daniel Craig James Bond movie. What do we think of the dialogue in this movie? Cheesy. Very cheesy. It I had have some great some moments. For you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I want to hear these highlights. You have a secret, something you don't want to tell anybody. Yes, that's what a secret is. he's everywhere he's sitting at your desk he's kissing your lover he's eating supper with your family oh mr white Uh, my wife and i quote this to each other all the time she knows the american she can take it to the american like oh uh, i'm gonna be like uh hey babe where do you want to go for dinner tonight the american but to to break i mean one do it a fantastic impression uh but two the the setting of the movie i i was really you know the the director of photography hoyt von hoytema um he's done nope he's done um where he created a brand new shooting style for that movie he's done interstellar dunkirk tenet uh, oppenheimer he's done a mm-hmm. bunch of fantastic movies so i was trying to look at it this movie from like a, a visual standpoint, because I'm also a camera guy too. Um, that setting of that scene where you're just quoting was so beautifully set up. They're sitting at a dusty oh, in the chessboard cabin? in the cabin. That's they're the sitting best at, scene. That's the best film sequence in the movie, in my opinion. They're sitting at a dusty chessboard, making it like so evident that this is a game that's been played forever because chess is one of the oldest strategy right. games ever. And it's dusty implying that Mr. White has been out of the game for all this time. And it, 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 there was just so many elements to it that made it so cool. And then he blows it with that shitty, shitty dialogue sequence. He's yes. everywhere. He's everywhere. Yes. Some of the other dialogue too, uh, when they go in the meteor room and Blofeld just says, touch it, touch it if you want. 
<laughs> Unintentionally hilarious. Welcome, James. Welcome, James. <laughs> Horrible. And then um, the after C falls to his death, and Tanner just says, he's dead. <laughs> oh, this is gold. He fell, he fell like 20 stories. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> Thanks, hey, I Tanner. I love how he checked his pulse, too. We were like, Thanks for coming in today, Tanner. <laughs> There's some good lines, though, I have to admit. When he when, um, tells him, you're a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond, I like that line. That's a fun one. Yeah. It's a fun one, and they and they used it twice, which was great. They used it uh, uh, in that sequence when he said it, and then the recording near the end, they brought it back. And you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's that good. It's powerful enough to be brought back twice. Yeah, well, so we we didn't really care for the dialogue, sounds like. Back to that Sony hack, there's memos from Barbara Broccoli and others who refer to, quote, trying to get the ending right. The, and the leaked memos, they make numerous references to this being Bond's, quote, unquote, final mission. Like, there was no need to make this Daniel Craig's final Bond. If you look at the previous actors who portrayed Bond, at no point did they make it like it was going to be their final Bond. They just made the movie to make the movie, right? Yeah, to be very fair, Die Another Day felt like, well, if it's going to be this bad, this might as well be the last one. Yes, that's a good point. Although it did make money. So I I will say to that, um, strangely enough, um, I never really... uh, uh, break out of the reality world when I'm working. But in this one instance, I filmed an EPK, which is uh, an electronic press kit for No Time to Die, where the uh, I got set up an interview with Barbara Broccoli and uh, filmed this interview of her basically promoting the new film. In that interview, she never said that or i mean basically the way they were talking about it was like it was always a plan to have no time to die it was always it was always supposed to be the Mm. final ending to this movie and or to this series with daniel craig and you know like you're just saying with that with this um uh sony hack it just seems like yeah they're they were just like yeah we're we're hoping that this is going to be the the ending blow to this series but uh it just didn't the way she she spoke about it was very very um uh, 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 what's where I'm looking for? Untrue. Oh, very like, uh, uh, like she had like some some press uh, screening to it beforehand, where she was like, yeah, you know, I gotta really tread lightly here. Yeah, that's interesting. She said that because I wonder if she could try to loophole it by saying like, well, we always wanted to do a two parter. It's like, but we know Daniel Craig said he didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's interesting if if you watch the ending of this movie, it really does feel like this is it for Craig. Yeah, he got he got the beautiful car, the Happy beautiful ending. girl, drove away into a, a, a classic, uh, one of those classic London sunsets that you, you see Big Ben in the horizon. Right. It's it's. I would I would love to ask Craig, like honestly, after he's had a few drinks, it's like, why did you do No Time to Die? Because it really seemed like Spectre was your last one. It should have been honestly, and yeah. but oh, I, I think, got more on that later. Yeah, I was about to say. I was like, I feel like he. They probably realized the obvious uh, mess up with this movie after I mean it, it made it made money it, it was a good, it was a, a good movie like you were saying you liked it when you first saw it um, enormously expensive movie to make enormously expensive movie and I think it just left it kind of for like a not not a, a, a not a, a final good note and I'm not saying no time to die was any better than Spectre I think it was a little bit better but it, it I agree I, I, I get what you're saying I get what you're saying though Right. And I mean, just 
to get back for or to think on in terms of the storytelling elements here, there was a lot. And Patrick, you made a really good point around there was basically there the studio was basically and the writers were basically making a non-existent problem come to fruition with trying to make this uh, feel like Bond's last uh, final mission, but also trying to establish a Bond cinematic universe within the Craig series. It, it felt like it was doing a little too much. Definitely tried to do too much. That brings us to our second reason why this wasn't better, which is Blofeld, the character. Firstly, the 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 misdirect thing that they did they, that they did with Franz Oberhauser infuriated me. Because yeah. in the lead up to this movie, they made they went out of their way to keep telling people like, no, 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 Christoph Waltz is not playing Blofeld. His character's name is Oberhauser. It's like we just went through the same nonsense with the John Harrison slash Khan reveal in Star Trek Into Darkness, mm -hmm. where everybody knew that this character was going to be Blofeld. But Eon kept telling them that it's not. It's not Blofeld. It's not Blofeld. We got the rights back to Blofeld, and the movie's called Spectre, but the character, his name's not Blofeld. And I mean, when the Blofeld uh, name reveal actually happens, it has no gravitas or meaning. It's the same problem that they ran into with Khan in the Star Trek movie. Him yeah, exactly. saying Khan means nothing to the characters in the movie. It's pure fan service. Exactly, and it, it didn't really... Um, like you just said, it was, it was fan service for the diehard Bond fans. But it didn't leave the people that aren't familiar. I mean, obviously, if you're going to go see a James Bond movie, you're familiar with Blofeld. But if you're thinking of a broader audience, that twist meant it, it meant nothing to anyone. They didn't set any stakes in the beginning for it to be like, oh, who's Blofeld? I don't know who Blofeld. They could have they could have taken it a different direction to make it more mass appealing than just a little Easter egg for right. Bond fans. The characterization of Blofeld was also just a, a massive blunder on their part. So his name, his real name is Franz Oberhauser. According to this movie's plot, he murdered his father, faked his own death, changed his name, set up a global terrorist network, became a supervillain, and then worked behind the scenes for years to become the author of all your pain, James. <laughs> Solely because he held a grudge against Bond because he thought his father loved Bond more when they were teenagers. Like, this is actual writing? We're supposed to take this seriously? Yeah. I mean, and even even uh, Daniel Craig said it too in that, in that sequence. He was like, it's because he liked me more? He's like, exactly. That's exactly why I want to kill you and ruin your life. The author of all your pain. The author of all your pain. <laughs> Welcome, James. Mine keeps sounding Swedish. I don't know why, but... Uh... I don't know what mine sounds like. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. I yeah. Just, it, that, his character is... Like we were just talking about before. I, I think Christoph Waltz is a fantastic actor. I think the character he brought in Inglorious Bastards was one of the most menacing scary uh, it, you just couldn't even you couldn't even guess what he was going to do next very much like a joker all-time great uh, movie character yeah right. yeah and then he tried to echo that in this film with another high expectation of blofeld which is a humongous character again for james bond fans but it just didn't seem like he tried to make it any different than any of his other previous characters yeah i was i was trying to think what what kind of strategy, you know, was uh, Waltz going into this character with? Was it trying to 
B, like more of like a, this is a very silent storm type character that there is something menacing, but at times with a very like classy tone, mm-hmm. very calculated approach. But or was it just really more of a phoned in like, eh, I'll try to use some of this scary voice that I use. I'll make it sound kind of weird. I think I think it's kind of what you just said. I think it's more of he already had an established character like someone else already have, has done this in the past. And I think he was just, yeah, using a scary voice and a classic little smirk where he didn't really know what was behind that smile. And I think that that's the only choices he really made. Which is, it's, I mean, part of it is one could argue, well, looking at the film, it's it's not another opportunity. It doesn't look at it as an opportunity for award season. Maybe it looks at it as an opportunity. Well, I'll do the film and I can build that third pool. So, yeah. I, yeah. It felt like it was yeah. a walk-on role. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, the, the third pool scenario. The character wasn't even written well. No, not His at all. His claims aren't even factually true. When he says that he's the reason why all the women in Bond's life ended up dead, it's like, that's not true. Let's that's go through them. That's not true. Vesper yeah, Lind, she committed suicide. Her yeah, death was uh, the result that, of her own decisions. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was, so he, he sank the building that she drowned yeah. in? Camille, the... the um. The woman from Quantum of Solace survived. I, I guess Blofeld forgot about her. And then... She's dead too, James. That's what she meant. Well. <laughs> and then M, right? M. Blofeld claims to be responsible for her death. Like, not really. She died by Silva's hand after Bond foolishly took her to a remote, isolated, semi-abandoned manor in Scotland. But, like, okay, I understand he's trying to say that Silva worked for him. It's like, but... No, not really. There was no, there was no extraneous motive to Silva other than what he said was that he right. just wanted to get back to M. That was yeah. it. Again, was a, it was a personal vendetta. That exactly. was a standalone movie. You didn't need to try to tie this movie to all the previous ones. You you didn't have to do that. You know what else they didn't have to do? Make Bond and Blofeld uh, former Foster brothers. <laughs> Doc, there's the Doctor Evil thing again. There's there's <laughs> Doctor <Gold> Evil. <laughs> I can't believe that they made a conscious decision to include this into the story. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know how was... this got past the first draft of the script. Like how, how did no script person at the studio just cr- not cross that off immediately? Like, well, that's stupid because they did that in gold member. I mean, it was almost laughable to have the photo that Daniel Craig was looking at earlier in the film that was like burnt a little bit. The burned off just, face perfectly burned off the side of where Blofeld was. And yeah, exactly. Uh, To then have that photo sitting in a picture frame in his little, little room at Blofeld's compound. It it was just like, it was so meant to be something in the creator's mind that it was like, this is going to get him. This is going to be a good photo reveal. And you're just like, no, it just didn't feel like it was anything. Uh, it's the most disappointing villain in the entire Bond series for me. I agree. I think, I think Batista was a better villain than Blofeld was. Yeah, he was good. Mr. Silent Rage. Yeah, although he the could talk, Batista. apparently. Oh, so two, two things I wanted to say about Batista. Uh, one, his intro was epic. Amazing. His intro to oh, walking yeah. in yes. Uh, yes. and then gouging the guy's eyes out with his thumbs which he never does also, again 
which he never does again. But it was like the the way the thumbs were shown, it very much looked like um, like the silver dollars or anything like that that they put on people of uh, when they died for the ferryman in like you know that classic uh, mythology. You put the coins over their eyes to pay up to bribe the ferryman to bring people their souls to the underworld. It was very like very on the nose like so cool that he did that and then of course just breaks the guy's neck after that yeah but the great way to introduce a character yeah i mean never saying a word besides you know when he gets thrown off a train which is another funny thing um the other part that i wanted to bring up it ties into christoph waltz uh randomly when the at at, um uh, dr swan's uh austrian cabin or whatever the hell she's li- uh, working at this re- random compound when they're driving away they capture her craig is flying on his plane right next to the uh dave batista dave batista just randomly has a double barreled pistol out of the blue it's a real and pistol yeah just it, it's yes. it's it's sick it's great it's yeah cool. whatever <laughs> the best thing about that though is if you remember this little gem of a movie called the green hornet Christoph Waltz is the villain in that movie and they make so, so much fun of him having a double pistol as his main weapon in that movie. (laughs) And it's literally, uh, it dawned on me as soon as I rewatched it before this podcast where it's just like, Oh, am I not scary now? Am I, am I not the fearful man now with this stupid double barrel pistol? (laughs) It, it it just, the, the the connection between the two is laughable to me because I'm like, it made Batista seem intimidating, but it was a a great show. Another movie. Really, really good. Deep cut, deep cut. Yeah. That's a very deep cut. Big green Hornet guy, big green Hornet guy. Well, back to Waltz real quick. Right. Anton. Uh, because I want to, I want to get this editorial in before I forget about it. I think this movie is greatly improved if you don't have the Foster brother angle, and he's just the head of Spectre with no connection to Bond. This is a much better movie. <laughs> I, I disliked that brother angle so much. I would, I would be probably willing to bump this up another like half letter grade if they just had left that out. Well, I don't, I don't hate, like I don't, I don't necessarily hate trying to dive in a little deeper. Maybe. A, a fun twist could be, oh yeah, his brother's actually like an evil version of him. Of course, it's a trope that we've heard mm. in writing, mm. but it could. I mean, you you kind of already get a version of an evil version of 007 in Goldeneye, right? Right. So it's hard to come up with again. But just to then have it be have it have it written into here felt a little forced and just felt weird and. Yeah, it really was just the plot from Goldmember. So pretty hilarious. I, I do think this is a fixable movie. Somewhere in there is a good movie. I'm just not sure where it is. But I think you can start by just taking the Foster Brother angle out of it. It's unnecessary. I agree. That's a good call. Monica Bellucci, her character actually being Blofeld, that would have been a great twist. I, now, I read <laughs> online that they considered doing this at one point. That I think it no would have way, been really? more interesting. She, would have been a, she should have been in the film way more. She's in the movie for four or five minutes right such a waste i very much agree with the sony executives because those leaked memos they reveal a lot of doubts about blofeld being his brother they they thought it was silly it's like yeah it is you know it's a bad idea when you as an audience member start agreeing with executives of a studio that have nothing to do with 
story with anything like that. Executives most of the time are just like, hey, we want to add a little bit to this character for no apparent reason just because we want to. It's a bad sign when, you, <laughs> when you're like, these Sony higher-ups, they, they got it right. Sometimes they do, I guess. Which brings us to our third reason why this wasn't better. The plot and the third act. Or should I call it a fourth act? Because this movie kind of has a fourth act. Now, Is the fourth act all the torture? <laughs> oh, we're going to talk about the torture scene. Or the fourth act is torture. I was, I was just about to say, it felt a little torturous. To, it felt like I was in that dentist's office. Uh, <laughs> so, Anton, we've mentioned the Team Deacons podcast on this podcast. Sam Mendez appeared on the Team Deacons podcast. And this was, of course, one of the films he talked about. And I'm going to read you the following quote where Mendez is talking about comparing Spectre to the magic that he felt that he had with Skyfall. Quote, I tried to get that back for Spectre and failed. I did have an idea. I thought it was good, but it fell apart. I was left with no third act, and I had to start shooting the movie without a finished script. And I've never done that before. I'll never do that again. That's what happens with these big movies sometimes. It's no one's fault, continued. The best movies I felt I've made come from the most complete scripts, American Beauty, Skyfall, 1917. There were a couple of question marks on Skyfall. It was vast, it was big, but fundamentally I felt the story was strong. But the important thing about those movies is that the last 20 minutes really delivered. I felt like I know we have our strongest stuff in the end. End quote. I give Mendez a lot of credit for being honest about this, about the fact that they started shooting without a script, because that is a considerable burden that they put on themselves. Oh yeah. I mean, the 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 beauty of uh storytelling is the callbacks from the beginning of the movie. It's little little notes that are left, little sequences that are shown that you can highlight later on in the movie to show how truly impactful the beginning of the movie is. I mean, that's full circle storytelling and yeah. to not have an ending to a movie you have to start shooting under contract it feels like there's no love behind it a little scary oh and by yeah, the way did you mention scary. it's going to cost 300 million dollars whoo gosh can we see where the money was in this film <sighs> no I, I i really don't know how it costs this much that it's a hundred million dollars more than skyfall everyone on the payroll got a watch Think about a this. Nice watch. Watch this a, a back nice omega watch that was shown in the movie <laughs> well shout out to omega for providing more, <laughs> more Aqua Terras for this movie. Yes, it's not a sponsor, but hey, maybe yeah. someday Omega. I, w- I would like Wishful this next thinking. break to be sponsored by Omega. <laughs> Back to the script. Screenwriters Neil Purvis and Robert Wade revealed that the film would provide a minor retcon to the conti- continuity of the previous films, with the Quantum Organization alluded to in Casino Royale and introduced in Quantum of Solace, reimagined as a division within Spectre rather than an independent organization, which is implied to no longer be active by the film's events. Like, well, they didn't explain that in the movie. Nope. Thanks for giving that to us in an interview. Yeah, they, exactly. they, they knew people were going to be confused. So they're like, well, actually, you shouldn't complain, complain because, you know. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. It was like, if the movie, if that interview took place after the movie, that would be a way of like, well, it's obviously you guys didn't get it. And yeah. like, you just it don't get just, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just don't understand it. I have I have yeah. some questions for you both that I that I didn't understand about this movie. Why is the double O section now irrelevant when they decided 
that it was needed again at the end of Skyfall. We just got done covering this in the previous film. Because everyone loves a comeback. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Kim Kardashian. um... They also refer to it as the double O program. It makes it sound temporary. I thought that had been around for decades. And this is my big question for you both regarding this movie's plot. How much time has passed between the events of Skyfall and this film? Do you think off the top of your head? Off the top of my head, I um, maybe maybe a year or two. A year or two, six months. Yeah, but they I, built a whole entire building in, <laughs> in that time. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, it it's kind of wild the random building. <laughs> yes. So there's some things in here that just don't add up, right? I was confused enough by this that I went to I went down a Reddit rabbit hole trying to find out like there's got to be an explanation for this. So the best explanation I found is that it's been four months since the events of Skyfall, but I no nothing way. in the movie that actually confirms no that. Right? Four right? months? I don't know. I don't know. That's, the timelines between the two of. films, they don't really correlate, right? Because the old destroyed MI6 headquarters, it's in the process of being demolitioned, right? Yeah. And it's going to be replaced by this brand new building made of CGI. Yes. <laughs> you would think a building like that would take years to like construct. Well, yeah, and it, it, it made it sound like it was our, it was the plan all along, again, a thing that was never talked about. Right. But the thing that's confusing is that if you remember, Money Penny drops off the stuff that they recovered from Skyfall to Bond in a box. She's like, hey, they just recovered this from Skyfall. It's like, but if that was months or years ago, like how? How how is Bond just getting that stuff? Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, I was like, it I, just makes uh, I know. I don't idea. have any. Yeah, now, I Tanner, don't have an answer. Tanner tells Bond, "quote A lot happened while you've been away." End quote. Again, I don't know how long we're talking about, but he also makes a reference to C writing a memo about the Double O program being outdated. And he he says that's a year ago. So does that mean the events taking place here were kicked in before the events of Skyfall? Crickets. Yeah, again, that's that's just lazy writing. That's. Right. Being like, oh yeah, this was all stuff that was already planned, but we just didn't talk about it in Skyfall. Because That's, yeah, in Skyfall, if you remember, Bond is homeless at one point when he returns, because they're like, oh yeah, we sold your flat. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But then in this movie, when Money Penny visits his flat, she asks him if he's just moved in, and he says no. And then of course you see his the remains of his Aston Martin in Q's lab. Mm-hmm. So it's it's implied that Q like recently received it. I, and, I, I don't know. I, it's it's something that's always bothered me about the plot. I'm like, when does this movie take place? It's unclear. Good good observations of continuity error. Thank you, Anton. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is I what mean, happens when you watch the same movie like thirty times. <laughs> you're like, you're like, wait a minute. But uh, I mean, to to uh, case in point to what you were just saying about. Q just getting that um, that Aston Martin that was destroyed. Right. When did Q get a subterranean office and to, that's beautifully set up? That's already ready yeah. to receive said Aston Martin to start working on it, and they then talk have about a, that too. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Here's my big problem with the plot, though, and it starts off early in the film. I guess I missed the part in Skyfall where M asks Bond to stop on the drive to Scotland so she could mail him a video recording she made about Marco Schiara. Yeah. Anyone else? Where, where, where was this? That? 
She wants him to go on a, a mission to kill this guy, right? Mm-hmm. A mission mm-hmm. so important that she she mailed him the video, but it and that only entrusts him to do it. But she, yeah, she died four months ago, maybe, maybe a year ago. We're not sure. It's a mission so important that he can't tell anyone he works with because his job in no way involves going after assassins working for global criminal organizations. He's got to go rogue. But he he trusts Money Penny enough to divulge the entire thing. And yeah, then watch she tells that him video. Yes, exactly. She tells him to go to the funeral too. So it's an organization that M apparently knew about, but she didn't feel the need to mention it to anyone at MI6 or start a file on it. Because, which because which she imp- she knew someone in the organization was dirty. That's mm. what I was saying. Was like it just implies that right away. Yeah. Maybe tell some other double O agents too. Bond's not the only one. Yeah, I mean they keep dropping references to Double O Nine. Right. But we never see him or her. Poor double O. Anything. Frank Sinatra fan gets his car stolen. <laughs> <laughs> that Here's was, my question that, for that you. That was pretty pretty great, the atmosphere button. <laughs> yeah, that was good. If Dead M wanted Bond to kill Skiara and then go to his funeral, why does he go home to London in between? Why would he just not go to Rome? Bond tells Moneypenny that he's been tracking Skiara for some time. It's like, how long? We don't know how Dead M knows about Skiara. Or how she knew about Spectre. It's just another plot hole. I'm calling her Dead M because we do have a, a very much alive M, played by Ray Fiennes. That's fair. That's fair. But I think um, easy storytelling just just fixes have someone else deliver the news or have someone else put him on the mission, right? Yes. Yes. And then, of course, Bond goes rogue again. This is the fifth movie in a row where he goes rogue. Anton, remember I mentioned this to you in the Skyfall episode, where where that movie ends, where he's in front of the new M's desk, getting a mission handed to him, and how that really that that movie really could have been the end of Craig's tenure if he had wanted it to be, because it it ends in this like this perfect he's completed the loop. Right, right. I was convinced that Spectre was going to be a traditional Bond movie where he's given a mission, he goes on the mission. It's like no, that's too much to ask for. We have to see him go rogue for the fifth movie in a row. Well, who doesn't love a loose cannon, double O agent? Daniel Craig loves a loose cannon, apparently. <laughs> He's three days from retirement. <laughs> That's what they kind of did in Skyfall. They're like, there's exactly. not many field Already. agents your age. <laughs> I'm too old for this. <sighs> we have the smart blood. It's stupid. It reminds me of the nanobots from G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Yeah, yeah, exactly, dude. That's exactly what I thought. You thought of G.I. Joe, too? Exactly. Well, it's it's also funny enough is that I uh, just watched the new Transformers movie uh, that has the same exact kind of mm-hmm. Smart uh, blood. introduction introduction of uh, the Joe program, and uh, you just it, it just echoes stupidity to me. <laughs> I uh, I think I've been desensitized. I, I remember rewatching, and as soon as he he mentions the Smart Blood, I was like, oh yes, of course it is. <laughs> Yeah, we just have robots in your body right now. That's cool. That's not weird at all. Don't worry, meanwhile, this is a grounded James Bond. Meanwhile, then you think about, uh, okay, so he has smart blood, but then in no time to die, his blood is infected with a contagious parasite, virus, oh, whatever you want to say. Oh, just wait till we get to that movie. <laughs> okay, look. Let's, I don't let's, think- let's focus on this. <laughs> Travis, do you, re- do you realize during... during- when I saw No Time to Die in the, for the first time in the theater, this is how much of a like embarrassingly dumb James Bond fan I am. My immediate thought was he'll be fine because of the smart blood. <laughs> I know, dude. 
That's Don't how worry. stupid Smart Blood was to me. Is I completely forgot about it until I rewatched this movie, and I was like, oh, and then I thought I about wish no I time had. to die. I yeah, wish I'd I was forgotten like, about it. <laughs> Something that cracked me up in this movie. So when Bond finds the secret room in Le Mecque, Vesper's interrogation oh, yeah. video was recorded on VHS in 2006. There's a bunch of VHSs there. It's like, I thought Spectre was this super high-tech organization. Yeah, I the, mean, they're, they're recording it on beta, the other ones. They're, they're a lot closer to analog than we think. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Someone's uh, a cinemaphile, I think. That's how evil yeah. they are. They like to inconvenience <laughs> others. Uh, here's my other... There's some other real, real issues here with this story. So Bond's parents die in an avalanche. Did you know that? Oh, well, he yeah. Didn't he say it was like a climbing a climbing incident? Yeah, of, a climbing uh, accident. But, yeah, and but they never said avalanche. Oberhauser, his legal garden, also dies in an avalanche, and James never found that odd? Yeah. And also... James never just remembered that dude's face and said it was, yeah, whatever. Let's talk about the dumbest thing in the movie. It's when Q scans the ring. So apparently, Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yes. This ring has the DNA of eight people on it, all of whom Bond has conveniently squared off against, but not on only on his missions involving the movies that we've seen. None of his other missions, right? It's only the ones... We have Franz Oberhauser's DNA. Keep in mind, Franz Oberhauser has... has died in an avalanche 20 years ago but for whatever reason his dna is in mi6's database somehow yeah yeah that none of that makes sense i'm gonna put this to you guys both because you're pretty well versed in bond this is not only the dumbest thing in this movie it might be the dumbest thing i've seen in any bond movie Hmm. Where Lashif's DNA was on it, Silva's DNA was on it, uh, Dominic Green's DNA was on it. Like, really, all on this one ring? Really? It also, like, it makes me think, what type of DNA were they getting from Were they all, ring? like, given the ring for a week so they could sleep with it? Like, what <laughs> that's happened? Exactly, I don't that's get exactly it. That's exactly where I was thinking. They all had this ring? <laughs> I was like, that's it's a like really the, dirty ring. You it's like ever the sisterhood it? of traveling pants, but a ring. <laughs> yeah, it's I just... But it also makes you think, like, did he never just, like, wash his hands, like, once with the ring on? I'm putting... I'm seriously... I'm, I'm asking you both seriously. Think about Die Another Day. Think about Moonraker. Think about the most ridiculous shit that you've ever seen in a Bond movie. This might be the most ridiculous... Yeah. I mean, it, it again, it's just uh, kind of echoes what you were saying before. It's just uh, it's lazy storytelling. It's it's very more, lazy. It's more of like an exposition than anything else where it's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, this ring has all the DNA of all the bad guys we've seen. It makes a lot of sense. I, you guys are just dumb and you're, you're not getting it. But uh, it, it just feels, yeah, lazy, very lazy. And then the third act of this movie. Starting at the point where Bond and Madeline arrive at the desert base, this is where the film really comes apart for me. And and just for the record, I find the first half of this movie like watchable. I don't think it's great, but it's watchable. Pre-title sequence, pretty good. I like when he sees Mr. White in Austria at the lake, at the cabin. That's really mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Right. The stuff in Rome, it's it's it takes a while, but at least it's well filmed. But then we get to Morocco and they get to the desert base. And Travis, you mentioned this earlier, how we always hear about studio executives interfering, right? They think they know better. I'll say this. 
There's a lot of the leaked memos that involve Sony executives realizing that the script needed work. And they, it seems like they ran out of time before they started shooting to correct it. For all the stick that the studios get about interfering, they were right. They were spot on in calling out the issues with the script. They were right about the Foster Brothers subplot being stupid. They were right about the entire third act of this movie needing just a bunch of rewrites. They were right. I think in I think that's 100% true. I think they were right. They had a lot of grave concern over some of the missing points that led up to this moment. But if I can just quickly talk about the train ride to this point, to the desert compound. Please do. Again, another mode of transportation James Bond had to be on in this movie. But the train ride was so laughable to me because it never, it never they never showed it making stops. They never showed it... Um, they never talked about where the destination was for the train, what have you. No. They randomly are on this train it seems like for hours they're sharing the same car then they get dressed up in this beautiful james bond has an iconic white suit on baller, she has this beautiful off white yeah, dinner jacket looking stellar looking baller. great and they've been on the train for hours at this point days it seems like they had a sleeper for, car forever again no indication of this train ever stopping they get into this beautiful like dinner where they both get dirty martinis and they're both sharing like oh i really like you you're really cool i think we should probably talk more and out of the blue dave batista just comes strolling in kicks up the table and this epic fight sequence takes out that's a wrong way it wasn't even that epic it was just a fight sequence but it, but, it made me laugh because it just makes me think like Dave Batista is just twiddling his silver thumbs in like four train cars away waiting for this opportune moment. And you're like, cool. So why did he sit there for like all this time not willing to attack these guys? And then uh, and then to add to it, they're destroying this train car. At, this is at nighttime. They're destroying this train car, shooting up the place. uh, uh, uh breaking all these tables, doing all the shit, going into the storage car, kicking all these uh, uh, beer cans and beer kegs out, kills a man, and then jump cuts to them having, they're like, well, what are we going to do now? They finally have sex. They do their whole thing on the train car, and then the train drops them off at the location they had to be at. Did they even know where they needed to be? No, no. No. It doesn't make sense. They get dropped off at some random spot that's not even a train stop. No. And then the also the train never stops. The train never stops to go like, hey, yeah, there was a lot of bullets flying and a dude got killed. But yeah, let's just keep carrying these dudes onto this random uh, uh, stop in the Moroccan desert. It just none of it made sense. I'm glad you mentioned the train ride because I have a bunch of thoughts on it. I agree with everything you said. I'd say the fight with Batista on the train. His character's name is Hinks, by the way. Mm-hmm. Didn't I, even know I that. do think it's a really well choreographed fight and you can really tell that Batista and Craig did all of the fight themselves because apparently they didn't use any stunt doubles and you could tell it they really they did all that well I just want to give Craig credit for that because he he puts a lot of effort into doing as many stunts as possible and uh, I think he's great at it but my problem with this fight to your point he comes out of nowhere why was he on the train to begin with? If Hinks was sent to kill them on the train, then what was Blofeld's plan to like invite them to the secret call center? I mean, he even sends like an Uber for them. It's like this old school Rolls Royce. Yeah. So like, was Hinks acting on his own? 
It's it's not clear. That's a good that's a good point. I didn't even think about that part. And then yeah. my well, other it, no my other H- problem sorry, with H- the Hinks flight. was on a H- Hinks was on a return to office program and had to commute. <laughs> yeah, tell it. He's yeah, like, I'm was, not paying was, for an Uber. I'll take the train. <laughs> he had a hybrid role. Yeah, I forgot. And then he's like, oh, sh-. he's like, is that Bond on the train? I might as well kill him too. <laughs> well, I don't want to interrupt them. They finally start getting along here. My problem with the fight, though, it, when if you think back when they're having the drinks, briefly. There's other passengers on the train, and then the second the fight breaks out, all of the passengers just disappear. Yeah, with yeah, no explanation, true. and it there's would, no music. It would have made sense to see passengers flee, right? But they don't show that. I don't know. Just it's little details like that. Right, like right. when you're rewatching it, I was like, wait, wait, wait where all the passengers go? Because they're but, not just fighting; they're legit like breaking through walls. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot on a train. And then we get, of course, to the desert base. Touch it. Touch it if you want. <laughs> yeah. I did want to call out. We, I, I was expecting for uh, Batista's character to do the eye gougy thing to Bond. We did get an instance, though, where right. it looked like I think he was trying to squeeze his skull. I don't know if you guys caught that. Yeah, real quick. Like, oh, maybe, maybe his thing is like head stuff. But he didn't have um, the metal thumb <laughs> thumbs on again, right? No, no, he didn't. No. Yeah. It's a bummer. It's a good shout out. All right. It and then we been, get to the desert yeah. base. Touch it. Touch it if you want. <laughs> this whole sequence is strange. It's basically a call center. There's like hundreds of people just standing around and on screens. I assume taking customer service calls for Spectre Enterprises. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> It just looks very clean in there. It's yes. just why do they always why do they all need to be there in the middle of the I desert? Think there's it's a unclear. couple like yeah, there's a couple like Nigerian princes there that I think uh, need, <laughs> desperately need money. Are they are they perhaps launching some um, space shuttles to go into space and rendezvous with a uh, Moonraker satellite? Nope, nope, <laughs> no. It's just nothing like that. Look, we talked about the torture sequence briefly in the production, right? It looks like a dentist's office from Minority Report. I don't understand yeah. them drilling into Bond's head. He's supposed to forget every face, right? And then he doesn't. Right. It's there's, just, there's no side effects for having your skull drilled into? So so I, I was really interested after I watched the movie and after I saw that part. And uh, I wanted to see, like, what would happen if a random four-inch drill bit went into the areas that they were doing that? And apparently someone did like a study about it and talked to a couple of neurosurgeons about it. If they drilled into the specific sections that they were drilling, yes, they had the right idea that if they drilled into that part of the brain, it could affect his uh, ability to recognize faces. But mainly he would have had insane internal hemorrhaging and multiple and multiple strokes and he wouldn't have been able just to eat that and that was the part where it was just like well yeah he got drilled twice i thought from what i remember it was just one time and then i was like oh no it was a bilateral a bilateral drill and then they were going to drill into his eyes afterwards too if he didn't stop it in time little tiny (laughs) cgi drills i i do gotta say out of well, this is the second film we've seen Craig get tortured in. Um, it felt very, I don't know. I just felt like it, w- it was a very unnecessarily grotesque torture scene. I wasn't yeah, the biggest was, fan of it. 
Yeah. And I the mean, whole the whole way it's filmed is weird. It's filmed like some kind of a fever dream. And Yeah, that's a really good point. Blo- yeah. Blofeld is like strangely bored. Look, he looks like he's bored and this is apparently him trying to extract his revenge on his former foster brother because maybe his dad liked Bond more than him. But it's unclear. And he's just sitting in there, not wearing socks. There's a white cat, and he's just not that interested in what's happening to Bond. And I, and I think that that was another dumb part of this was that, yeah, it was just another nod to Blofeld, the classic white cat character that you've seen in all the other movies. And it just felt cheesy. It just felt stupid. It was just a throwaway thing. You'd be like, oh, yeah, remember when we said this guy's name was Blofeld like a minute ago? Here, Here's the cat that we all remember. Yeah, Patrick, you you made a point when we were recording the Skyfall episode or the Skyfall episode. It made no sense to have the machine guns on the Aston Martin, but it was literally just a callback, right? To just wink at fans, and while that can be fun in doses, basically that this whole film was just a lot of that, right? Winking, and even then, just try it. It, it ends up just feeling very shallow at the end of the day didn't do any favors for this already very shallow plot it's so shallow that when they escape when he so he's gotten his skull drilled into a couple different times at this point right yes they get out of there so easily in i would it seems like less than a, a minute he goes full call of duty with that assault rifle pretty impressive for someone who just had their skull drilled into well, and he manages to destroy their entire call center with one rifle. The whole thing goes up in smoke. I was going to say, I'm not entirely convinced this wasn't actually... Uh, Bond's still in the chair, by the way. And everything that we've seen in the fourth <laughs> act of the film is just his uh, his mind that has been drilled into a few times. Yeah, his totem's uh, still spinning right now. <laughs> exactly. I've read this theory as well online. Yeah, and maybe that also explains No Time to Die. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's going to be a fun movie to talk about. That three-hour movie. So, but I, I agree with you. It, it, the it, the next uh, 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 the events make no sense, and they move very, very fast. So they get out of there, right? And then Blofeld somehow survives that giant explosion. He gets some kind of surgery on his face because he has the scar. He has time to heal a little bit, and then he reappears in London, it seems like hours later, and he's already set up an elaborate trap in London for Bond and Madeline. So they get, you're, you're following me, right? Like, it seems like all right. of these things are unfolding really quickly. It's it's either he knew Bond would escape, so he was going to get ready to have something in case right, that which happened. Is ridiculous either way. When they get back to London, right? So Madeline... She gets, of course, she gets captured by Spectre because she's stupid or whatever. <laughs> but if she, you know how she says goodbye to Bond after they go to oh, um, the so safe stupid. house, which is uh, the yeah. Hildebrand rarity, really cool shout out because it's the name of a short story. But you know how she's, they're leaving the safe house and she says goodbye to James. Okay. If she wanted to say goodbye to James, she could have just said that and not even gone to London in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then. James is obviously in love with her to then see how coldly he turns and goes into the car with M and drives away where when he lost the other woman he loved in uh, Casino Royale with Vesper, 
he he couldn't let it go. It just it, it ruined him. And just to see how coldly he reacted to it, and then it was like, all right, goodbye. All right, cool. See ya. Yeah, later. Have a nice it life. Just, yeah, it it just made no sense. And then also to add to kind of what you were saying, where it was evident that in this sequence, it was their plan for James to get caught the whole time. But then when they do get caught, James breaks out, but then there's spray painted arrows guiding James oh. to get to this point, which is again, another uncharacteristic thing. Horrible. But it just made it like, oh, it was this plan the whole time. So we, you thought that you were going to trick us, but I'm tricking you because it's a double down. And you're like, it, it just, it just didn't make sense. And then just keep showing these overhead shots to make it look like it's a spider's web with all these cables and all these things to give even more evidence that it's a trap. It was just so poorly constructed. And like you were saying, where was the time frame? It's, it's impossible to tell. How do yeah. we feel about S.H.I.E.L.D. being infiltrated by Hydra? Oh, sorry, wrong word. <laughs> oh, oh. How do we feel about MI6 being infiltrated by Spectre? I'm talking about C. Who is C? <sighs> oh, my God. He's a useless it, villain is what he is. Very useless. And another element of, wait, what storyline are we supposed to be paying attention to that we forgot about partway through the film? Well, that's where Hydra infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, sorry, wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's so obviously a bad guy from the second you meet him. This guy, Andrew Scott. Yeah. Now, he does I mean, a fine mm-hmm. job of playing another version of Moriarty. I was just about to say yeah, that. That's, but that's, that's where is, I knew him from. This is what we call bad casting, where you know the actor is the bad guy the second that he appears on screen. And the reason we got this is because of another script issue. So originally in the script, M was supposed to be a turncoat, but Ray Fiennes refused to play a bad guy. So they changed the script and created the C character. Shout out to Ray Fiennes, who's just like, no, I won't do that. That makes so much sense now. Right? I did not know that. That I Wow, that makes a lot of sense. I respect Ray Fiennes so much more for just flat out, just like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, I respect, I'll be in the I movie, that. but I, I won't that be is a very, traitor. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's how we got the entire thing of MI5 uh, doing the um, merger with MI6. And, that, and of course, the Edward Snowden stuff <laughs> influenced this. But the reason why C is such a poor villain is there's no real connection between him and Blofeld. Like, he makes a reference to Blofeld. Blofeld makes a reference for to, to him. But the two of them never share any scenes or interact in any way. We never see their actual collaboration. And this actually got me thinking. If you watch a lot of the older Bond movies, there are many scenes where you only see the villains talking to other villains, right? Right. There's some really good stuff in Goldfinger, in Thunderball, Man with the Golden Gun. Go all the way up. So we have Blofeld. We have C. We have these two uh, apparently really powerful villains who are colluding with one another. We never once see them actually colluding with one another. And then what's funny about that, too, is that when Blofeld is showing off all these videos and all these things that he's always been the the author of his pain. The author of all your pain. (laughs) (laughs) Even Daniel Craig goes like, oh, so you've had C as your guy the whole time. Craig has never had any interaction other than one instance, maybe with C right. in the very, very beginning of the movie. Exactly. And to, for him to just automatically call him out, like, oh, yeah, your dude C. It's idiotic. It's like, it, it, yeah. It was just like, how would he know that? He's he's never 
once been uh, uh, brought to seize attention other no. than both of them vying for some random power uh, in the MI6. It just didn't make sense. This is the other big problem with it. What is Spectre's plan? How does the Nine Eyes program benefit Spectre? They're already a criminal organization. Now, I understand the benefit of having C as your mole, right? But how does the program actually help them? They already seem to be plugged into mass surveillance on a global scale, right? So they just want more surveillance? To be fair, maybe they need an upgrade in technology. They are using VHS a lot. <laughs> That's very true. We need access to a brand new technology in 2015. DVD. <laughs> Have you heard of this new thing called the Zune recorder? I don't Zoom. know. <laughs> Have you heard of internet? <laughs> Compact disc will be in every car by 2020. <laughs> no, I, I think... I think that is um, really, really, really telling us kind of what the overall plan was yeah, for them. What is their but plan? It, but it, it, yeah, it, mm -hmm. it, it was just again another thing where they're like, "Oh, they have, they want global security, very much like Hydra would be like, oh, cool. Now we'll have government-sanctioned um, surveillance. So now right. maybe they were going to be hired as the government." Mm -hmm official contract uh, uh, who but, knows and in here it's just not clear what they want or what they're doing in all the spectrum movies from the the connery movies from the 60s it was like really straightforward what they were doing in thunderball they to quote dr evil they hijacked some nukes and held the world hostage and you only live twice they were trying to spark a war between the usa and russia same thing in diamonds are forever they were doing it for ransom reasons right same thing in her majesty on her majesty's secret service they were holding the world hostage in some way for financial gain. What are they doing, Inspector? It was not clear at all. But not at all. But, but maybe there was a, a retcon that made it all make sense, but it, it just was not clear. Another plot hole in, in this movie, Spectre. So they have this countdown, right, to nine eyes going online. We have to stop it before it goes online. Why? It's not a bomb. It's not Skynet. It's not going to become self-aware and nuke half the planet. What difference does it make if they shut down the program like two minutes after it goes online? What's it going to do? I'm not sure if there's a concept or like if there's an official concept on writing in some sort of like timeline or some sort of artificial timeline to increase tension in a scene. But I'm sure that's part of it. It's like it's a writing technique, but it just doesn't make sense with the actual no. with, with the actual Nionize program. Now, here we go. So, Blofeld's helicopter gets shot down by a handgun fired from a moving boat. At that range, a pistol would not penetrate drywall. And here's my other issue with the plot. So, Bond refuses to kill Blofeld on the bridge. But a minute earlier, he had no problem shooting down a helicopter in the middle of central London. He was willing to do that, but when he was confronted with the opportunity to kill Blofeld, he's like, nah. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Ran out of bullets, according to him. Yeah, and and also to add to that part too, it 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 didn't really make sense to me that he let him live, and you know it's just another funny thing. But M had a line to C earlier in the movie saying, um, this, "I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like uh, a license to kill doesn't mean you have to kill." Yeah, and uh, it, it was kind of like just funny because you see 
James Bond throughout the entire movie mercilessly killing henchmen after henchmen after henchmen. And then yes. like when uh, um, in the very beginning with the widow, he just kills these two random dudes that were sent to kill her. And it's, it's just funny because that this is the moment where he makes the choice to not kill and of all people. And it, it just, again, it, it felt like it was trying to be much more than it really was. It was trying to be like, this is a conscious choice, but James doesn't want to kill. In the original ending written by Purvis and Wade, Bond leaves Madeline on the bridge and he walks off with M, but Sam Mendes overruled them and changed it. What do we think about Leah Sado as Madeline? It's rough. I mean, not my favorite, but no. at the same time, like I think is, is, is part of that the writing? I think it is because I think she gave a great performance in No Time to Die, but I don't think she's particularly impressive here. She's fine here, but in the next yeah. movie, I really liked her. Yeah, yeah I think fair. she's I think she's underutilized in this, but I think it's also for me strange to begin with that mm. Bond fell in love with the daughter of one of his biggest enemies for the past three movies. I think it's just a weird choice. I also thought it was weird the admission of love while he was in the torture chair. She's like, "I love you." Oh yeah, yeah. look, yeah. look into I was those like, blue eyes. Each other for two two days. I, is that the <laughs> Is that the weakest scene in the whole film? I think it is. It might be. Scene. I mean, yeah, it is one of them where he's where even Christoph Waltz says something like, uh, "Look into his blue eyes to see if he remembers your face." He's like, "Oh, I could never forget your face." You're like, <laughs> oh my god, it was just Welcome, like, "Welcome, James." Yeah. <laughs> it was you know just what, like you know what corny makes that scene even worse. Line. They paid extra money for that scene. What do you mean? Would that would that the novel that oh, torture scene yeah. from that novel? They paid extra money specifically for it, and that's what they oh, did. With it. That, and then they that it was a real, bad. real, <laughs> so real bad. Great use of money. Uh, well, at least this movie gave us a good M. Ray finds is he's pretty awesome. Oh, he's fantastic. Yep, agreed. Yeah, is and he in this Q, movie too much? Maybe it seems like, but I mean, the only way it makes sense for him to be in the movie too much is to close the C loop because otherwise we would have had to have James Bond directly involved with C to end C's reign of all the surveillance and the nine eyes. And now we know what C stands for. Careless. Careless. (laughs) (laughs) M stands for moron. That's really in the movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like, Oh my God. Now, Anton, in our Skyfall episode, I lamented how I, I had wished that had been Craig's last Bond. I know I mentioned this before, but this this really should have been should have been his last one. Let's move on okay. to the next reason, the last reason. It's boring. This movie is boring. The cardinal yep. sin of any Bond movie. It actually managed to be boring. It's got serious patient pacing issues. Long and boring. What was a point in the movie that you felt you were bored? Uh, the board what? meeting where, where Blofeld gets revealed. The literal board meeting. Gotcha. Copy. <laughs> yes. No pun intended, but but seriously, if you rem- if you recall, it, it's it's probably calling back to the boardroom scene from Thunderball. But unlike that one, there's too many people in here. Bond just gets in really easily. Somehow Blofeld knows how he's there. But to quote Mr. White, he's everywhere. But yeah, that like to, just even case in point. Um, when Bond walks into the 
or tries to walk into the uh, the meeting itself, and the guard stops and goes, "Who are you?" And he answers in Italian, and then like raises his hand to show off the specter ring. And the guy's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, come in, come in." And then lets the walk in. Bond Mickey walks Mouse. in, and the yeah, Mickey Mouse. And the camera stays on the guard, and then the guard gives this like nod to the yeah. other guard, and yeah. then the other guard calls him. So it's like, cool. What was the point of that whole interaction if you already know that this is James Bond? He's coming in. It it, it just felt like we're really trying to get James Bond to be caught off guard in this meeting. Cuckoo. Exactly. <laughs> uh, what else found? What else did I find boring, Travis? All of the action scenes I think are pretty boring, and the the most glaring example of this is the car chase. If you yep, even want car to car, just, if ugh. you want to call it a car chase in Rome, it's dull. It is well filmed. I think it's lit very well by Hoyt van Hoytema, but it has about as much tension as watching a car commercial. First of all, the streets are empty. There's no violence of any kind. None of the cars take any damage until he until he puts his Aston Martin into the river, but at no point do you get this the, the sense that Bond is da- is in danger. And I don't even know if you can call this a car chase because it's more like Hanks's Jaguar tailgating his Aston Martin. There's just not much going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree. I I, f- I remember rewatching and thinking, you already know it's a bulletproof car. What's the so there's real right. there, there's no danger of him getting shot and even then you 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 put it well that it's it feels like a car commercial because essentially that's what it was and you wanted very well detailed beautiful shots of the cars but didn't feel it didn't feel very exciting it's so lifeless that they felt the need to spice it up with bond making a phone call to money penny for for some expository dialogue yeah and then adding the the quirkiness of it too like him tailgating that italian man singing in his robin's egg blue fiat in this back alley and then bumping into him pushing him into a perfect parking spot and then the airbags going off and then bond flipping the switches on the aston martin that was designed for 009 and it, it just felt so like you said like cheesy and campy and then to needlessly crash the Aston Martin into the river and then use the air ejector seat for him to effortlessly parachute into a street and like have a one-liner with some random person. It it just felt so out of touch. It's, I felt the same way about a lot of the other action. We already mentioned how weird it is when he escapes from the lair in Morocco. Yeah. And then, but then, um, the snow plane chase in Austria, I, I, I just thought it lacked energy. Yeah. It was also like, you know, Bond makes a lot of strange choices and he's always like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll take this vehicle to get over there. When, what was in his mind when he gets in a propeller plane to chase after three cars and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to use this plane and, and, and take down these three cars. And then shoot a pistol out of the side of the plane. It's like again, it was just dumb to me. But it, but it looked pretty. It, right? did. it looked gorgeous. Okay, it looked yeah. pretty. <laughs> okay, yeah, Anton, you're right. It, did. it looked absolutely gorgeous. What do we think about "Writings on the Wall" by Sam Smith? Not one of my favorite songs. I actually really liked it. Really, um, I was a fan. It won the uh, Oscar, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, it felt very James Broadway. Bond. Broadway, yes, but it just felt like when you were like. Uh, 
as soon as you sat there, I was like, oh yeah, this this has got that feel that like you can't put words to it. It just had it. like the Dell. Very mysterious. Yeah, yeah. Adele Skyfall though, <sighs> boy, that was down absolutely that one superior. That one superior. So yeah. Radiohead actually recorded a song called Spectre for this, and it was going to be the title song. Yes, but it end up ended up being rejected. And they later released the song as a free download on their SoundCloud. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, now, I'm to Thomas to do that Newman, after we're done. Who wrote the score? Uh, I found the score pretty boring, and it's pretty clear that he recycled a lot of material from Skyfall. I think he's a great composer. He's he's done a lot of very well known movies, but I don't really care for his two Bond contributions, and I think he was the wrong choice. And it really, it really only reaffirmed that Eon never justified replacing David Arnold. We talked about Hoyt Van Hoytema earlier. I think he's a talented cinematographer. I like the work that he's done with Nolan. I don't know about all the color palettes being used here. Travis, one of the things that bugs me the most about movies in general is the yellow filter thing from Mexico. Mexico. Yeah, oh, I knew you. Yep, I knew you were so, exactly going to say it because oh, that's exactly that's it one drives of my, me crazy. It's a pretty uh, frequent trend, right? Yeah. yeah, that was one of my first notes, and he did that in um, God. I think it was in Tangier too, or one of the other one of the other oh, locations. The, the scenes in Morocco are almost like coffee colored. Yeah, 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 yeah. And including including um, Craig's outfit choices too. The suit he rolls up in is a coffee colored suit. Oh, and it was just like it was just breathing like cool. Yeah, we're just gonna put a little sepia tone over this and, uh, uh, and just move on forward. I have a reproduction of that blazer that he's wearing. It's a linen blazer. It's pretty awesome. I mean, it looks fantastic. Shout I'm out sure to Royale Filmware who recreated that <laughs> for an affordable price. Speaking of prices, this movie cost three hundred million dollars. We, we mentioned this a couple of times. I just want to put this into perspective for, for both of you and for the listeners as a whole as to like how much money $300 million is for a budget. That is as much as Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, the previous movie we, we just covered. $300 million is more than all three Lord of the Rings movies budgets combined. No way. <laughs> That's yeah. insane. Yep. yep. Uh. Sorry, I gotta I gotta go back to this. Um, uh, do do we want to have any guesses on how much it costs to make minions? Two hundred million? Nope. More or less? Uh, less. One fifty? Seventy-five nope. million. You're 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 right there. It was seventy-four million dollars. Oh man! Whoa! And that that film made one point one billion at the box office. <laughs> Well, I was about to say it was like Steve, it was Steve Carell, Kristen Wiig, Jason yeah. Siegel, or am I just mixing up? Well, multi- so so that was that was a lot of the cast for the um, Despicable Me for that's Despicable right. Me. Oh yeah, you're yeah. right. For yeah, that's probably Minion. why it was cheaper. Yeah, Minions. I was about to say they took all <laughs> yeah. the budget. Yeah. Well, no, they had they had some big names in Minions. They had John Hamm, Sandra Bullock, um, Sandy Bullock. What? Yeah, a lot of a lot of big Jeffrey Rush is in the film. There's your Sandy Bullock. There's a lot of names. Wow, dang! This is every. It's ridiculous. This movie costs this much. That car chase in Rome, thirty-two million dollars to film that. How? (sighs) This is baffling to me. Now, keep in mind, I understand inflation is a thing, but thirty-two million is more than half of the entire budget of Goldeneye, which was released twenty years before this. Look, it 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 rhymes with shmoney schmandering. Okay. 
It's <laughs> funny you say that, saying. Anton. What so this cost $300 million. It made eight eighty. I don't know how profitable it was. I think it made maybe a little bit of money, but that's not that great. Yeah, you, they basically broke even. Yeah. Like, again, this made this cost $100 million more to make than Skyfall. And it shows nowhere. No. Nope. Uh, maybe the travel. They just went to so many different locations. Maybe. But, but even so, it's like when you get to those places, they have so many deals with the film commissions there just right. to film in these spots. Well, that Mexico people are begging. had that tax break. Yeah, I was about to say, it's like they're begging for people to film in certain spots, especially James Bond movie. Where did the money go? Da-da. Well, some of it went to Daniel Craig's salary. He got $39 million for this movie. Pretty good. He looks kind of bored in a lot of scenes, and he's pretty. he's been pretty open about his dislike for this movie. He said afterwards that he would rather slash his own wrist than make another Bond movie. <laughs> He also tore yeah. his ACL during the filming of this movie, so I mean that's that's real tough to deal with. Damn. And then there was a lot of reports that he and Sam Mendes had major disagreements during filming. I think it says a lot that Sam Mendes did no publicity whatsoever for this film. Yep. Very telling. And but, I'm sure there were moments of frustration with Craig just yelling, yeah. This is stupid. Well, the the big thing I want to talk about here is that Christoph Waltz had nothing nice to say about working on this film either. He did not want to return to the role, and apparently it took quite a bit of convincing to get him to reappear in, in No Time to Die. Yeah, I wonder how much his, yeah. uh, his three minutes of screen time in No Time to Die cost. I'm sure they paid him pretty well for that. Yeah. Man, I can't wait to talk about that movie. Monica Bellucci, she's underused here. Shouts out Monica Bellucci. And she's in the movie for five minutes. I mean, Eon made a big deal about her being the oldest Bond girl, and this would this would be important for co- combating Hollywood's age shaming thing. But she's not in it long. Yeah, and uh, you know, Bond strolls in, talks her out of uh, you know being sad about her dead husband, and still has sex with her. And bangs her. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then conveniently, she lets all the information out to that scene, that boardroom meeting that's happening in drivable distance. Right away from her. Yeah, it's all great. Film would have been more interesting with more Monica Bellucci. Without I think so. Without a doubt. Like you said, if she was Blofeld, that would have been, that would have, that would have been cool. Pretty epic. Uh, listeners, if you didn't know, Monica Bellucci is in the Matrix series as the character Persephone. Just want to call that out. That's right. Good call. Good Doesn't call. Doesn't have much to do in there either. I did like Bond's chemistry with Q. I think it's one of the highlights. Yep. Ben Wishaw yeah. in general, I think he's great in this movie. He's asked to do some pretty stupid stuff with that ring. Yeah, I will say um, with the injection of said smart blood, that um, pregnant pause he has when he, he goes like, you're just going to feel a little prick. And yes. it was just yes. perfectly, <laughs> perfectly used. Uh my my only problem with Q in this entire movie was him being sent to Austria to grab Bond. It just felt so out of character for the the guy that never leaves the office. Completely to agree. Randomly be there as a story point, be like I was sent to bring you home, and it just if it, it didn't feel good. But uh, was overall, he even sent, or he did he just go? I think he maybe maybe he did it by himself because he didn't he want did. to be in trouble for his job, which also didn't make sense. But um. I, I I have to agree though, their chemistry is so good throughout the whole series. Ever since he was been introduced, agree. Yeah. Do you think it would be able to carry for longer than 
the few seconds or the few minutes of screen time they get together? Well, I would say if you look back at the history of the Bond series, he's only really interacting with Q for a few minutes each movie. So I, I, I would say that would be pretty on par. So not only was this movie released the same year as Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, it also shares many similarities. Both movies begin with the main character hijacking an aircraft. Hijacking an aircraft. Both movies involve the main character going up against a mysterious terrorist organization that works in the shadows, as the, and the protagonist goes rogue in order to catch them. Only a few loyal agents assist the hero off the grid in both movies. Both movies also feature a second act taking place in Austria and Morocco, and the villain's motivations involve expanding their organizations with the help of a corrupt government official. Both movies involve sequences which take place in Morocco. Both movies have final battles which take place in London, and both involve a nighttime chase between the protagonist and the villain, while the hero tries to save a friend kidnapped by the villain to stop the villain from escaping. Both climaxes culminate in the villain being captured, not killed. Rogue Nation also features an opera set piece that is similar and much better executed to the one in Quantum of Solace. My point is, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation did a lot of these things better, and it pains me to say that as a Bond fan. Now, Pierce Brosnan commented on this movie in an interview with Hitflix. He said, quote, I was looking forward to it enormously. I thought it was too long. The story was kind of weak. It could have been condensed. It kind of went on too long. It really did. It is neither fish nor fowl. It's neither Bond nor born. And am I am a am I in a Bond movie? Not in a Bond movie, but Daniel in the fourth go around has ownership of it. He has a nice looseness to him. He's a mighty warrior, and I think he found a great sense of himself in this one, with the one-liners and the nice playfulness there. Just get a tighter story, and he'll have another classic. I think the guy was fairly banjaxed by playing it, end quote. Wow. Well said by Pierce. Very, very well said by the former Bond. Before we conclude this, I want to talk about Bond's wardrobe. Travis, you kind of touched on some of the stuff he was wearing earlier. Pound for pound, Daniel Craig has some of the best clothes in the series. That black roll neck sweater on the film's poster, awesome. The white, off-white dinner jacket that he wears on the train, love it. The casual outfits that he wears in Morocco are pretty timeless. He's got the navy blue polo, the tan suede bomber jacket. That wool jacket that he wears when he's confronting Mr. White at his cabin, that's great. That linen blazer I mentioned that he wears at the train station, yeah. It's great. I own a copy of that. Again, shout out to Royale Filmware for their <laughs> recreating many of these items at an affordable price. And then that racer jacket that he wears with the chukka boots during the climax in London. It's another great outfit. Yeah, this was a showcase of his uh, his wardrobe, so to speak. You never see him carrying a single bag no. of all these suits. But uh, yeah, I mean, he he really pulls it off. A shout out to the costume department because it's fantastic. And of course, Omega. He has a really, really nice Omega in this movie. Shout out to Omega. Uh, Let's wrap this up. Did we like it? Travis, since you are our guest, would you like to go first, second, or last? Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Um, Now, do you guys grade it? Uh, I I, I know I listened to the Mission Impossible one. You grade it letter grades, correct? Correct. A through F scale. Yeah, A through F scale. A through F scale copy. And with pluses and minuses? Yes. Yep, that's it's all good. All right. Um, I think overall, the first time I watched this movie, like Pat, I liked it. Um, 
I will say, you know, it came out in 2015 and I watched it recently. So about an eight year gap between I've seen the movie and I remembered absolutely nothing about it. And then having watched it again, I just re- remembered that it's not memorable. I would say with the problems from storytelling, the lack of cohesion between acts and also just it, it it just felt long. However, it was beautifully shot, beautifully done. Um, I'd probably give this, I, I want to say, I'd say a C plus. It was not wow, pretty the, good. It was not the absolute best Bond movie, but it didn't ruin the entire series for me. Like Quantum, I think, had more problems than this did. But... I, I'm willing to give this the benefit of the doubt, even though I, I've shit talked it for the past couple hours. Um, I, I, I'll safely say a C plus. I think was is good enough for me. It's not exemplary, but there were enough elements that made it good for me. So where do you rank it with uh, your bonds? Top tier, the, middle tier, lower tier? <sighs> low tier, low tier for sure, okay. and okay. definitely not my favorite. Uh, I'd say fourth best out of the Craig five. What'd you like the worst quantum of solace or no time to die? Uh, quantum of solace, no time to die had elements of greatness to it. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of poor choices again. Um, I bet that's third best and then skyfall and then casino, um, casino. I just think was such a, beautiful movie casino i would i would give an a easily i just think there were so many elements there that it reinvented a franchise that has been uh done time and time again over with you know 20 movies at that point i just think it i think it did something special and this movie just was not uh specter was just not special i thought the potential for this film was tremendous getting the rights to blofeld and specter back was such an opportunity for the series, and I think they pretty much bungled it. It's not the worst film in the series. It's not my least favorite, but I do think it's probably the most disappointing Bond movie. I just see the whole thing as just a gigantic missed opportunity. I like the locations. I like the scene set in the Alps. I like seeing Mr. White again. I think there's some good performances, but the most important performance, Blofeld, fell flat to me. It's a total waste of Christoph Waltz's talent. I don't think he does much with the role, but I don't think the role was well-written to begin with. There are some good scenes, but I think most of the action falls flat. Last but not least, I think it's boring. I find the first half really watchable, but once they get to Blofeld's lair, I think things come apart in a big way. The more I see it, the less I like it. They made so many dumb storytelling decisions with the characters and then trying to retcon everything. It just had a cancerous effect on, on all of Craig's films. You take all of that into account plus the huge budget and it just should have been way better. And it frustrates me because it's, I think it's so fixable. There's a good movie in there somewhere. Get rid of the retconning, get rid of the foster brother thing, change up the third act, cut out 15 minutes of this movie. You got yourself a pretty good bond film, but I rate this a D plus. I think it's far below average and it's just starting to dip into badness. All right. There there was something that we touched on earlier when talking about what ends up on the cutting room floor 
And I feel like this is a film where it has all the parts of what could have been just an amazing Bond film. It had a lot of the right elements. It was beautifully shot. We've talked about how well the characters just are dressed, how they look. It has the right vibe. There, it has all these things that what could you not love about a Bond film? Snowmobiles, um, exotic locations, all of everything that you look at when you think of a Bond film. But the way that it was cut up together and the story that was tried to match it or tried to match to what they ended up cutting together, it felt more like a collage of magazine clippings than an actual story and movie that was put together. And in the same way, Patrick, it, it feels like there are so many things that were very fixable, but without any dedication to a proper story or even just how to tell that story effectively it was such a missed opportunity and that's just a it's such a huge bummer just because when you watch the trailer it had all of the it, it you see all of those elements that this could have been such a badass film but at the end of the day you just get a film that was disappointing and it's a bummer what can you what can you do but give respect to the film to the film in terms of what did look good but understand it it just wasn't uh it it just was not one of my favorite bond films at all and when i think of in comparison to the craig fil- or all of the craig films it is my least favorite i actually give it a solid d well eon wasn't too happy with this movie either just like with quantum of solace the blu-ray is entirely devoid of commentaries or special features now if you compare that to skyfall they treated it like a celebration Tons of making of feature acts, multiple commentary tracks, and there's nothing here at all. Nothing. Spectre only confirmed to me what most Bond fans like myself has long suspected, which is Eon has no long-term vision for this series. They don't have a plan for these films. They're trying to do them all one at a time, haphazardly, and yet they keep making the fatal mistake of trying to tie them all together. And it seems like we're mostly in agreement. Travis was, you know, you're you're more favorable with your review, but not great yeah no i mean now i'm now i'm thinking i rated it too high um no, but you it, can rate it whatever I, you know it's fine no 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 i i i think i i think i'll stand with uh with the the c territory um i think it just it had so many from a from a camera perspective i think it looked beautiful i think it it kept the eye entertained but maybe not the brain and I think that that was something that I could walk away from being like, I think the director of photography and Sam's, uh, Sam Mendes's uh, vision was probably executed visually, but I just think from a, um, a storytelling point, yeah, that's where it failed for me. But um, yeah, to go on to kind of what Anton was saying, I just think that it was not a, not a great, way to show Craig's skill off and, and it was a very poor uh, iteration of the Bond character he created well said well that is it for Spectre um, Travis thank you so much for joining us to discuss this this has been a delight thank you very much for having me guys it was an absolute pleasure the pleasure was all ours believe me Anton we will be back next week when we talk about airport Woo! not airplane not airplane, airport. Travis, if you want a great movie to watch, you go on Netflix and watch Airport. <laughs> I've never even heard of it, but I, I think I'm already tempted to watch it. Oh, it's not great, but it's worth a watch. 
<laughs> it sounds uh, good to me. Uh, Anton, do you want to keep the listeners in suspense, or should I pick a next movie after Airport? If you if you have it ready, let's let's excite the listeners. I believe I do. Per a request Ooh. of our guest who would like to appear on this episode. So when Love I say I would guests. like to pick it, I'm not really picking it. Our guest is picking it. And the movie is Thor, the first Thor movie. Well, let's ride that rainbow road to Valhalla, why don't we? It sounds good. <laughs> All right. That is it for Spectre. We will be back next week with Airport. And after that, Thor. See you then.